says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down the upcoming round of action for the Parramatta Eels and also have a cheeky little look at Origin 2 is my good mate, 60s. Big fella, uh, morning after a big, big loss to the Queenslanders. Series gone, a lot of questions being answered, or leveled, sorry, to be answered by the Blues. How are you feeling on this particular Thursday morning? I... You know what? I'm almost lost for words the morning after. There are things that happened in that game that some people might say, oh, with the benefit of hindsight. No, there was no hindsight needed. Uh, We're talking about some of the dubious selections that happened with it, the inevitable injury to Tommy Turbo. Oh, dear. um, The the post-match antics of Jerome Luai, it's just... In-game antics of Jerome Luai. Oh. It's, uh, I think it's been built as a disaster class on uh, some of the um, media websites, and you can understand why. Absolutely shocking, shocking, shocking. Yes, yep. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's get towards the show there. But before we do, a quick shout-out to the sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners, Real Estate, Auburn, Rowan, and Parramatta, helping the tip sheet come out each and every episode. Uh, love those guys, obviously, 60s. But, yeah, before we get into the Parramatta stuff, let's let's talk origin because there is a pretty big conversation to be had in the long term. But for us right now, uh, could Freddie Fittler have made more incorrect decisions in terms of roster construction, in terms of the deployment of those players, you know, in adverse conditions. Uh, just he he we we spoke about it with Clint. The balance of the bench was way off, way off. They ended up playing Payne Haas for eighty minutes, didn't they? I think. Yeah. 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 And the poor think, the poor man yeah. looked like he was gassed out there, as you'd expect. And yeah, uh, sixty-seven minutes. There you go. You bring in Stefano Toikamano and give him twelve minutes, sixties. What's the point? I, I rate Stefano. I think he's an origin level player. Give him at least 20, 25 minutes. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, BA uses a term when it comes to player performances that aren't up to scratch, where he, he doesn't get the commitment from the players that he wants, and he calls it dipping the toe in the water. Surely, if you just going to play Stefano for 12 minutes, all you're doing is dipping the toe in the water. Like, it's it's not a... And you, you don't... Uh, a, unless you're the Queensland team that won eight in a row, you don't have that luxury. And even then, they didn't do that. You know? Yeah. If you're picking a player because you think he's good enough, you play him. Yeah, that's it. That's but, it. It's... There the were... When did Cam Murray... Like 50-something 50, 50 minute. It was crazy. Like one of your best players and a player that should have been there from the second minute uh, in terms of a, a replacement because he's actually a, a replacement caliber center. Uh, yeah, he got left on to like the final 30 minutes. And the butterfly effects, the cascading series of catastrophic incidents that all stem from not replacing uh, Tom Tobojevic when he injured his pec 
with someone like Cameron Murray or a back rower even, someone that plays on the edges intrinsically uh, in the past. You know, that, that flowed on to the debutante Reese Robson who started the game reasonably well, but fatigue really destroyed his ability to give Moses and Luai good service or a number of erratic passes that really left his halves to hang out there. Uh, and, yeah, just baffling. I mean, you go into game two with a, an, an obvious overt plan to use two dummy halves all of the way Queensland do, and yet you abandon that at the first possible opportunity and completely ditch your game plan. Like, what? Yeah, it's... I wrote on this in today's edition of Bumpers Up, uh, and I, I said what you've just said then if you lose a centre, most NRL coaches will shift a back rower into that position because it's it's just defending just a tiny bit wider. They're used to being on the edge on in both attack and defence. You've got a number of players in the NRL who have been, um, you know, interchangeable at, at back row and centre. But, mate, the, moving a dummy half there, oh, look, Maybe there is one other coach out there that might put his dummy half, his bench dummy half, out at centre. That'd be um, Todd Payton with Jake Granville because he's played here. Granville plays just about everywhere. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I think you'd find there would surely be 16 other coaches out there who would not do what Brad Fittler did last night and and to do it in an origin game when you're up against the elite of the Queensland players out there is just, it's mind-numbing. And the thing was, it was apparent very early on that Damien Cook was struggling. He he looked lost. He looked lost when the ball was up in the air. He looked lost when the ball was on the ground. He looked lost when he was given um, overlaps. He looked to- like a dummy half. Playing center, like who yeah. would have thought? And it, like, just the, it literally the juxtaposition between the mentality of New South Wales and Queensland across these last few, uh, not I mean, it's more than the last few years. But you remember the game where JT busted his shoulder very early into the contest and was clearly a, like a dead weight passenger out there. And New South Wales ran no traffic at him, and Andrew Johns was losing his mind in commentary going back years. Up against here, where Queensland said, "All right, you're going to play a dummy half at center." All our attack is going there. And yeah. the poor guy, I mean, Cook is a very good player. I, I, I wouldn't have necessarily picked him for Origin um, if everyone was fit, with uh, Api Corusau being my preferred dummy half. Uh, but in the context here, I, I honestly cannot fault him because he was left not just to hang out the dry, he got absolutely resold out there by his coach. Uh, you know, there, there are terms that I would use much stronger than that. Uh, in a different Which context. Which you did in your text messages. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I, I do believe that uh, I, I sent you some very strongly worded uh, text messages about what Fittler did to Cook in this particular game. Yes, yeah. Uh, and yeah. yeah we're, the, the, we are, we're, uh, we are at, at very least, a PG-rated yeah. program here, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one, yeah. Do you know that when you have a PG movie, you get one swear uh, for the entire movie, and uh, Lord of the Rings was actually rated PG, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. They could have had one swear word in each movie. So I, I, I once saw a video where it was like, what's the best like change of one sentence by adding a swear word you could make? And there was some stuff involving the Balrog and a few other things which were rather amusing. 
Um, well, mate, there was as as I indicated in the bumpers up today, uh, there was no heating process in what you said that uh, Fitler did. Yes, uh, what what Fitler did to Cook was very raw. Let's just say that, yeah. very raw. Yes, yeah. I mean, we're laughing about it uh, because it just it, it's almost in the realms of absurdity. It's almost as absurd as a certain journo's oh. uh, rating of Cook's performance last night. I mean, this is not an anti-Cook. Um, tirade at all that either of us are going on here because he did not deserve to be put out there at at centre in an Origin game. I mean, it's it's just not fathomable how that how that transpired. Well, speaking but, of, but for that journo to give him oh, a seven the, out of ten, what, it was, was it the highest rating? I think it was the of, highest team rating. Yeah, equal highest team rating. Like. I mean, how many tries were scored through? Uh, it it screams to me of outrage baiting or fishing for a controversial response. So yeah, not not a big fan of that. Um, but speaking of controversial, I uh, I got some questions to ask Sixties because the complete lack of kick chase, the complete lack of hustle and short side plays, I. It it really was close to sandbagging, in my opinion. There, were, there were, the complete lack of effort surrounding what Mitchell Moses was doing really had me what I, asking questions last night. Well, I'll I'll look at it from this perspective. With Queensland, everything is a complete buy-in. The every player buys into every other player that's selected in the team. They buy into the process. They buy into the match tactics. It's it's almost as if it's in the DNA of the players to understand what is required in origin football. Now, I'm not suggesting that there was anything... Um, that was a conscious effort to not support teammates in in the Blues camp at all. I'm not going to suggest that at all. But it's almost like some of the 1% plays... The the complete the, lack of hustle on the short side play, yeah, yeah. Was that, that, that is inexcusable 60s at any level, whether it's Jersey Flag, New South Wales Cup, NRL let alone state of origin. That was a try gone begging. Uh, just like how there was a crossfield kick tip back to Luai that was fumbled. You know, the the standards were very, very poor. It looked like they hadn't trained this week at all. And like I said, just the complete lack of hustle and kick chases and the short side stuff really has me I know you weren't you weren't implying anything, but I don't know if I if I can say the same because that, that felt like a sandbag. I I I just thought that the team looked like, as it did in game one, a group of strangers who didn't understand the player next to them, who didn't understand the uh, what was needed to win a game at this level. And although in the first game the, the Blues were leading until relatively late... You just knew what was coming from mm-hmm. the Queenslanders. 
and and for that to happen when uh, from memory they were down with a player off the field, weren't they? With the uh, Sinbin in game one uh, when they when they staged their comeback, and it's yeah, as a, like I, I just think there's a very simple answer in that they seem to understand at every at every part of the process in Origin what is required in origin better than New South Wales. Now, you notice I'm not saying that New South Wales don't understand. I'm saying Queensland have a better understanding. They've got the PhD in and that of goes, yeah. And that goes from team selections through to team preparation through to um, the just the mental application uh, during the game, the, the pushing, pushing their bodies through pain barriers. It's you know, like the, the qualities that we associate with origin football, how much of the folklore surrounds Queensland rather than New South Wales. Now mm-hmm. I'm, I'm obviously a blue supporter and I'm, and I'm not, you know, I'm not as emotionally, charged about last night as I would be if the New South Wales performance was an Eels performance, for example. Um, But as a Blues supporter, I look back and I think, you know, so much of the folklore around origin is around Queensland heroics, Queensland achievements, Mm -hmm. Queensland players, it's it's like well in the when origin was created it was created with queensland in mind let's not get away from that and as we found in discussions with players involved in origin back then that it took a while for new south wales to actually you know catch on what this was about to to really you know in the embryonic stages of origin like it was almost like New South Wales didn't treat it seriously, as John Muggleton informed us. You know, like city versus country involved uh, Queensland players in the in the city team, in the New mm-hmm. South Wales city team. Yep. So, and then you know you were getting matches with the same coach um, at at Origin level, and players now lining up for Queensland against New South Wales, like they're just the. I mean that was the yeah that was the early years, but it, it's an example that Origin was made for Queensland, and I just don't think we've ever really bridged that gap. Except in the times where we've had a supreme difference in talent levels, where you know just the stars align and you have um, you know the team that got the three peat and whatnot in the two uh, thousands, um, yeah. In any time where there is a parity. Of competition or relative parity or they're slight underdogs even queensland just find another level they well, are how about we go back to the super league era where fatty vorton coached them to the to like the yep. most insane upset series mm-hmm. victory and just smashed new south wales in that series and if you want to talk about a disparity in talent in that year like virtually all the big Queensland stars had gone to Super League and they still 
understood origin football better than New South Wales at a time when New South Wales probably should have smashed them, like absolutely pulled their pants down. I mean, it was good for rugby league, in essence, that Queensland won that series. It was, I mean, it was good for the ARL competition that Queensland won that series because it showed that it still had a supreme product yes. where the result wasn't predictable. Uh, but, you know, like, and I know it's it's deeply historical compared to what has just transpired last night, but to me, I just think Queensland have a, uh, a better understanding. And again, I'll repeat, I'm not saying New South Wales have no understanding because that would be an insult to the players that have all worn the blue jersey. I'm just saying I think Queensland have a better understanding about what origin football means. And do you know what? Right at this point in time, I think it's a, an appropriate point to segue to an example of that, which was uh, Jerome Luai's Instagram story oh, today. God. Like, clueless. If, clueless. If, if people haven't seen it, it's still there right now at 10.15 a.m., this morning, you would have thought that someone would have got in his ear and said, mate, get rid of it. But for anyone that that hasn't seen what it looks like, it's a photo of him sitting on the field, leaning up against the goalpost, uh, black and white, chill, all you idiots have work tomorrow morning, laughing emojis. Now, whether it's whether it's directed at Queensland supporters, whether it's directed at New South Wales supporters who've been who were critical of his performance, what does it say about his regard for the people who provide his livelihood, which is the punters out there who go to the games, the ones that watch on television that allow for big media deals to be done, chill all you idiots have work tomorrow morning. Like, you know what? I'm living, my, I'm living the life and I don't care what you think. Mm -hmm. like, uh, I mean, if you are talking about, I mean, this bloke's got form when it comes to not caring about um, the things that he says that other where other people would not even dare to say it because, well, it's not just, it's not that it crosses lines. It's just that it's, it's thoughtless. It's clueless. It's um, there is a lack of appreciation of other people and yeah look I get that the players can get absolutely hammered on social media relentlessly we've we've backed players who have copped hammerings because it's it's not needed you know you get the trolls that are out there only only they can know what they're going through but if you're talking about setting yourself up as a target 
like words fail me for that that particular one. It's why is his club not suggested to him that he get it down? Maybe mm. they have. Maybe he's just said no. I'm he's leaving willful. it up there. Yeah, possibly. So, but yeah, it's uh like I said, the the fake tough guy stuff too. The standing over DCE and not clearing the rock and. Uh, his involvement in the brawl at the end. Yeah, it, it just speaks to a player that doesn't, who's almost there for the paycheck, I think. So, how does, by the way, how do players that do what is most obviously a headbutt escape with a fine? Uh, between that and how the Victor Radley headbutt was initially handed, I legitimately don't know what the NRL where they stand on headbutts. So we got a send-off and a symbian for the headbutts, but only fines in terms of what was handed out immediately afterwards. Victor Radley was allowed to play on that game after clearly having... It was more it was more of a headbutt than the other two, honestly, but clearly headbutting there. I, I, I don't know. The NRL, once again, they, they whiffle-waffle on like legitimately concerning things like this then tell us it's not a crackdown on... Uh, there was a hip drop last night as well on Tedesco. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to simbin a state of origin, like yeah. And what about what no, about no charge, Smith's no comments? charge for the hip drop as well? What, by the way, yeah, but what about Cameron Smith's comments on the Reese Walsh tackle on Luai, yeah. where he's literally wrapped his arms around his neck and uh, around Luai's neck and head, and rode him to the ground via his head, and then Cameron Smith goes. You know, there's there's been what do you say about twenty uh, of these in the game already, or whatever whatever number he said. Yeah. Uh, that's not a penalty; it's Origin football. What? What? When you've got the biggest audience that you will get through the season watching that, including kids, and where and look, <laughs> I'm not being a wowser in this regard. You you can't have. The, I mean, the commentary was rank awful last night, just rank awful. But you can't have someone who's regarded as a complete legend of the game saying that tackling in that manner passes muster in origin football because it's origin football. Mm-hmm. Like, you just can't. The, the message that it sends, and, and just going back to what happened with the headbutts, for and because um, I'm going to throw another criticism at Reese Walsh here, the way he carried on as he was sent off the field, like he's celebrating the fact that he's been sent off for a headbutt. Again, what message does that send? I, I tell you what, there are enough impressionable young minds that you could imagine a kid doing something stupid being sent off the field and celebrating being sent off the field. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for players layering it up when they, you know, get a big win the way Queensland did. If after the full-time whistle, the whole, you know, boys were really, you know, going over the top of their celebrations, no issues. But like you said, in the context of being dismissed that way, uh, to arc up the, the crowd and layer it up sends some very mixed messages, doesn't it? Oh, uh, look, I have little doubt that he's, he's, in an emotional frenzy at that right at that point in time, because the, you know, the match has suddenly had this 
big heated up moment right at the point where they're ready to celebrate not just a, a win in the match, but a win in the series. And he's being sent off the field in that, in that heat of the moment. And like, as I said, he's, he's ready to celebrate. I get that the, uh, whatever part of the brain that it is um, that, that triggers emotional responses, it's not thinking logic right then and there at that point. But it ha- again, there has to be a consequence for it. Like, they like, because it's a chosen action, just like the headbutt is a chosen action. See, when you've got tackles that go wrong, when there's no intent for a, a head eye tackle or there's no intent for, um, in, in like, um, the the grapple ta- like a not a grapple the tackle, crushes the, and whatnot a crusher tackle mm-hmm. right when those things happen accidentally that's not an excuse that's never accepted as an excuse and yet the 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 players aren't in most instances the last thing that they're trying to do is is give away a penalty or hurt the opposition player in some way but you know they'll they might have to cop a suspension if you are going to headbutt someone, if you're if you're looking to do such an action in the era of concussion, yeah, you know, yep, you are making deliberate contact into the face of the opponent, and for everything that that might deliver, be it a concussion, a busted nose, um, you know, a busted jaw, perhaps any of those consequences that could happen. For that to just be a slap on the wrist is not good enough. It really isn't. So, um, anyway, mate, I, I, is there any final comments you want to make? Because I, I guess we should wrap no, this I up think, I think and, we, we, and get into our, our previews. Yeah, well, the only question I suppose now is should the, the way you know NRL teams move on from coaches mid-season, should the Blues move on from Freddie Fittler for game three? And, uh, well, I, I think I... My stance has always been with Origin, whatever you go with in game one, you've got to go with through to game three. Like, I just think it's, you know, if you've got to, unless someone proves that they are um, like way out of their depth, or, or or you've got your combinations completely wrong hang on i'm ticking boxes here <laughs> but yeah um, fitler will see our game, will see our game like, three but yes i know what you mean yeah yeah like i'm i'm not one for for radical change like i i didn't agree with some of the selections in game one around the pairing of uh cleary and blue eye and i i i just didn't you know i i, I didn't think that blue eye was in origin form Here's a here's a tough one for you. Is Tom Tobojevic stamp never to play Origin again? Is he too big of a liability? He would have to, uh, like, it's not going to happen in this instance, right? But let's say, for example, um, it wasn't a serious injury, and he was back playing within a week. Would you select him for Origin three? No, 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 no. In, in terms of future selections, he would literally have to come back next year at the start of the year, be in outstanding form 
for the entire year, show no signs of injury, and then I'd have continued. I'd still be reticent, yeah. What what we saw last night, that was one of the most nothing peck injuries I've ever seen. Like yeah. usually a peck injury involves like a violent wrenching of the arm, right? Whether it's intentional or not. Sometimes, you know, there was the whole armbar thing happening in the NRL at one point that led to him. In this case, he was just making a tackle and just rolled over the dude. Uh, Tommy, this isn't an attack on Tommy's talents. He's one of the most gifted players in the entire competition. But he's going to go down as the biggest what-if of this generation. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? He should not have been selected for the series this year. He'd been in extremely ordinary form for Manly when he'd played. He had one outstanding game, which was against Canberra. And next thing, he's catapulted into origin with all the journos agreeing with his selection yep. and and waxing lyrical about the reuniting the origin team uh, back line from a couple of years back. So it was, it was like rejoice. We get the chance to make all these selections. Never mind the fact that there are injury and form issues surrounding ha- at least half of them. Um, I mean, we like at Okar, it's turned out to be okay in terms of his injury, but he'd been injured. You're talking about Tedesco, who'd been out of form. You're talking about Turbo, who'd been both injured and out of form. You're talking about Latrell Mitchell, who had been injured. It it was like a recipe for disaster. And then you've you've got the selection of players who. Um, are great in club combinations, but haven't really produced consistently in origin football like Cleary and Luai. And, you know, there's there's a bit of hindsight involved, but there's also, you know, it's it was all highly predictable. Yep. yep and yep, and yep. in the case of Tommy Turbo, it was... Like there was, you couldn't make a case for his selection. How did how did he win selection, just based on form, just based on form alone? Even take out injury, based on form alone, how did he win selection over Campbell Graham? Mm-hmm. Like good shout. It's it's an absurdity, and and you know what? If if um when it comes down to it, right. I I'd take Will Pensini into origin ahead well, of Well isn't it isn't it funny Tommy how club back. club combinations suddenly aren't important when it doesn't feature the Penrith boys? Because Parramatta's right edge could have been pretty handy there. Madison, Penasini, likes those players. Like I'm not saying you should have picked them, but the conversation turns rapidly from we need club combinations when it's the Penrith boys to yeah, we'll just get Mitchell Moses in there. Yeah, so, well we've got we but We've got no bias in saying it, it is unfathomable how um, Turbo got selected ahead of Campbell Graham. Yeah, agreed. You know, like he's, uh, there There had been nothing, uh, like literally nothing in Turbo's form at fullback this season to warrant selection. You don't get selection on one game. Well, yes, we, we know actually you do because Talakai got selection from Fittler at centre on one enormous half of football, not a full game, one enormous half of football up against Morgan Harper from the Sea Eagles. Mm -hmm. So, 
I guess, you know, one headline grabbing game can get you into origin under under Fittler's command. But yeah, and and again, this isn't like this isn't an attack on Tommy Turbo because the last thing he would be wanting is another injury. And you know, there's a there's a part of but there is a part of me as well that might be thinking, you know, like Latrell Mitchell withdrew himself from the team, said he was that he wasn't he wasn't fit, he wasn't ready to go. Um would it have been in Tommy Turbo's best interest to stand himself down from origin football this year? And I guess like he probably has that passion for New South Wales. I can get that, but you know, there's, there's got to be a part in the brain where you go, is it, is it in the team's best interest? Is it in my best interest? And you know what? I don't think there would have been a rugby league supporter out there. If Tommy Turbo had have said, look, I haven't had a great run with injury. It's I'm going to declare myself unavailable for origin selection this year. I need to get myself and my body in in the best possible shape that I can. And if I can get back to playing consistent football for 12 months, I'll make myself available for origin selection again. Mm-hmm. And, and could you imagine that? Would there be a single person out there who would have been critical for him for such a call? No, I doubt it. Are you, and you know what? There's always the, idiots, but outside of that, yes. And, and you know what? The people who would have been cheering the most would have probably been Manly supporters. Yeah, agreed. They're, they're the ones that have been hurt the most by him being playing Origin in the last couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, I, he's barely played a game for Manly relative to his monster contract. I think he's averaged like 11 or 12 games a year over the last four or five seasons. And when you look at his cap hit, like – on a per game basis, they're they're paying him outrageous amounts of money. So, yeah, you know. yeah, and that's and that's like I haven't gone and checked uh, Manly socials, the supporter sites, the um, uh, what is it, Silver Tails? Yeah, that, 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 that's their yeah supporter forum. Yeah, yeah, I haven't checked their supporter forum. Um, I've got a sneaky feeling that there will be plenty there that would take that stance that as a club, they just don't get, I mean, they'd love him as a player, but they also know they just don't get value out of him as, you know, for the, for the amount of coin that he takes up, it just isn't there. So anyway, it's, um, uh, time to talk no, Parramatta, I think, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it is time to talk we've waffled, Parramatta. We've waffled link that state of origin, and we'll do more for origin free, obviously. But for now, let's talk Parramatta Eels, and we're going to start, as always, um, when they're playing the Jersey Flag, who actually uh, kick off a, a very uh, frustrating week of scheduling 60s, a 12.30pm kickoff out at Points Bet Stadium, a.k.a. Shark Park, naturally taking on the Cronulla Sharks in that fixture. Uh, Eels enter the round in ninth place, taking on the third place Sharks. Uh, only four wins, though, separating the two teams, which I know isn't an insignificant amount of victories, but it's also not uh, you know, a gaping difference. But uh, Sharks, very good in this grade. Eels really struggling at the moment. Had some uh, tough results go against them. Getting some big reinforcements this week, though. 
as we go through the team list. Starting at fullback, uh, Tehronui Apanui Tweedle or Apa Tweedle, back in his preferred position after spending a few weeks uh, covering the halves. So he goes back to fullback, hopefully a big boost for the team there. Uh, you got Komalafi, Panasini, Blackburner and Williams across the back line with uh, Matthew and Taroa on the edges, Richard and Lockwood in the centres. Josh Lynn reunites with the big in, which is Ethan Sanders, who makes his return from a broken hand after four or five weeks out. And a uh, massive boost for the Eels there. The biggest one by far they could have gotten, but he's not the lone inclusion. In the front row, you've got Noah Reed and Brock Parker with Nick Lenars getting a C next to his name this week, 60s. Uh, good reward there for Nick, who's been fantastic this season. Back row, Charlie Geimer and Will Lato on the edges. Max Tupo's back and he'll start at lock forward. On the interchange, Matthew Arthur is also back after serving his two-game suspension, which is a nice in at dummy half. Sam Torvaiti, Saxon Pryke and Lance Fulima round out an all-SG ball interchange. Patrick Spence goes back to the 18th man. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a very good team on paper. Ethan Sanders is a huge in here for the Parramatta Reels. Uh, he'll, he'll obviously help steer the ship and let them be a lot more direct and fast and fluent in attack. Uh, but reality is, this is going to have to be a whole team effort, isn't it, to snap the losing streak and get back to playing some good football. Yeah, absolutely true. Uh, it, I guess there's an element of unknown because the halfback position is so crucial that Ethan Sanders is such a huge in. And the fact that you're talking about a spine which guided the SG ball to, the, to their competition victory, Twidle, Josh Lynn, Ethan Sanders and Matty Arthur coming off the interchange bench. And it's, you know, that that is a big team change this week. You're talking about players that understand each other's play. It's, it's almost like second nature to them to read what's, what's happening, um, be it attack or defence, just getting the team organised. Is going to is going to fall into their hands now. We're huge fans of Nick Lanaz. Um, I would suggest there's a there's a good chance that um, Nick will move to lock at some point during the game uh, when when Matt Arthur comes onto the field so that he can continue leading the team. Um, but yeah, just looking, <laughs> the entire bench is the SG ball. Uh, made up of SG ball players, Arthur, mm-hmm. Tuavaiti, Saxon Pryke, Lance, Fulima, and uh, then the concussion reserve of Paddy Spence. It's, you know, you, you, you start, it, it's starting to look like it's almost going to be close to the SG ball team at some point in the near future. Once Boyce is back, exactly, that's another player slotting in. So, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, obviously it speaks very well towards the talent pool in the SG pool. Um, but I suppose the other question too is how long did the flag get to keep Ethan Sanders? Uh, which it, yeah. might, it might not be that long. Yeah, look, I, I would suspect that that's going to be the case. Um, it, yeah, it'd be interesting because you probably want Ethan up there playing New South Wales Cup. Uh, I don't know how much he's going to learn or develop as a player at the flag level when he has um, the capacity to play at the New South Wales Cup level. 
Um, yet there's some real floggings that the New South Wales Cup team are going through. Do you want him subjected to that? Or could he make such a significant difference that that doesn't happen, especially as the Eels start to get more players back from injury that then are, are coming back from the NRL into New South Wales Cup and therefore you're going to get better performances anyway. I, I guess maybe that's something for Sanders and uh, his agent Fieldsy to um, to think about when they're, when they're talking to the Eels about what the plans are for the rest of the year around Ethan. Um, hopefully we get some news on what's happening with him from a contract perspective fairly soon. But um, for now, mate, I, I, look, I have to acknowledge that Cronulla are going well, but I'm also going to acknowledge that this Parramatta team might just have the capacity to bounce back this week and get an unexpected win in the jersey flag. And that's what I'm going to tip in this game. Nice. Yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, yeah, Ethan's inclusion is going to be very significant for the team. Uh, but yeah, just getting getting back to playing good football and and the lapses. It's been you know just a, a handful of lapses here or there in that run of losses that have really cost them. You know, kicking back to that Melbourne Storm game. Uh, but yeah, getting back to playing good team football, having the halves and the spine really steering the ship will be huge. And yeah, maybe they can engineer an upset on the weekend, which brings us to the New South Wales Cup. And this one really frustrates me sixties because. Having a free call kickoff clashing with the free call kickoff in the NRL was just so, so silly. Um, Mate, you know what? I'm going to look forward to some weeks where we can maybe get out and cover some of the lower grade football for Parramatta because, in terms of what we've been able to do with live blogs in the last month or two, it's really felt minimal because the, the scheduling has been diabolical, absolutely diabolical. And people who follow TCT know that we pride ourselves on being able to provide them with the coverage that they don't get elsewhere. But not only do we pride ourselves on that, we enjoy being able to go out there and look at the progress of the players coming through the lower grades at the Eels. So, um, yeah, this is, again, another example of the scheduling just not being conducive to uh, being able to get out there and support. You can imagine from a club, the club's perspective, they've got uh, players running around and staff running around involved in these lower grade matches that would much rather be able to be at the same ground as the NRL and supporting them, or at least being able to watch them live. So um, yeah, not ideal. Lamentable indeed, my good friend. But let's get into the team list now as the Eels look to bounce back from consecutive drubbings. Uh, the Canterbury Bulldogs and before, uh, sorry, before the Manly Seagulls or the Blacktown Workers Eagles, Canterbury and then Manly dusting up the Eels in the last couple of weeks. And to do that, they've got some reinforcement 60s. Finally, it feels like they've gotten some important ins across the forwards and the backs. Uh, we start, as always, at fullback uh, with, sorry, we start with where this game is being played, I suppose. 3 o'clock p.m. at Henson Park. Uh, so, yeah, home of the Jets there, who have been linked to Perth today, I believe. Um, looking to make some moves there, maybe. But, yeah, at fullback here, the big one, the one I'm really keen to see, Arthur Miller-Stephen back 60s. 
Uh, we were talking about him just last week, saying that the timeline sort of really lines up here or last week with him coming back. And obviously they took just the extra week there to get him healthy. He comes back at fullback, huge in for the team there. And just the inclusion of him and the fact that Wonga Blake isn't injured when he missed that uh, second half last week against uh, the Manly uh, Seagulls or Blacktown Worker Seagulls uh, means that the back line suddenly actually looks somewhat competent. Miller-Steven at fullback. Isaac Lumi-Lumi goes from centre to wing, which is his better position, with Hayes Dunster on the right flank, Lumi-Lumi on the left. Wonga Blake at centre and Zach Sini going from fullback to centre. So suddenly it actually looks like a pretty reasonable back line for reserve grade. Uh, in the halves, Dan Keir has still been tasked with a pretty tough challenge there. He's going to be 5'8 for the Jordan Rankin, who's captains at halfback. In the front row, you've got the big hyphen, Jonte Jr., Bethan Mieser. He'll partner Kai Rodwell as the bookends. Many Luke is the dummy half. In the back row, a couple of guys dropping back from NRL. Desperately unlucky, it has to be said. But uh, we always knew there was going to be some tough calls for Brad Arthur as guys got healthy. But I feel for Matt Dury and Luke Amrudi, both of whom have been very good in NRL across the last three or four weeks. Uh, but they'll be in the back row with Jack Murchie. Murray locks the scrum. Uh, Murchie and Dury on the edges. Now, in terms of who plays what side, that's going to be a good good shout because I think well, even though Dury plays right edge most of the time in the NRL, well, he started the season the right edge. I think in reserve grade he's been playing left edge and Murchie was a right edge back roll last week, I think. So that'll, yeah. that'll probably play out that way. It's a young interchange. Jock Brazel, Tony Matelli uh, leading the way there. Uh, Jiren Mamacia and Nico Pello bringing a bit more or a bit more age than necessary experience with Pello being a uh, you know, not necessarily a highly graded or highly experienced New South Wales Cup player. Uh, but yeah, it's a much better roster this week, 60s, and goodness, it's it's timely because the Jets, they're formidable. Connor Tracy at fullback. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, we, we've got big raps on Kyle Iroh and Samuel Stone Street. They're in that back yeah. line there alongside Josh Mansour and Moweni Hirodi, who are very experienced NRL players. Trindle's a halfback. Uh, Niwai Puru's got some good raps on him as a halfback. Uh, so you got those two in the halves. Then uh, what in the front? The, the forward pack actually is a little bit less, uh, at least in terms of name power, a little bit less uh, popping off the screen. But they've still got Sharbel Tassapali and Billy Magulius. so it's a it's a very good team. And last time these teams met in round two, uh, it was the first thrashing that the Eels got in this grade this year, and it wasn't even close. Yeah, and the last thing you want if you're already coming off as a run of drubbings which extends back to the game against Newcastle. Yes, well, they're, they're, they're beaten place. very comfortably, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you'd have to suggest that confidence would be low. The um, spirit, gee, I'm not sure how high the spirits are within the team when we were uh, watching last week, watching them come off at halftime with already a lopsided score of... Uh, Horribly lopsided score. I think it was. Was it up? Getting up close to 40. 36 for, to four, I think it was, or something like that. 34 yeah. to, 40, 34 to four, I think. Yeah, and uh, I think the week before it was forty nil or something yeah, like that at halftime. Yes, it was. Um, or, whatever it was, but yeah, I, I watched them, and I watched the body language as they came off the field, and it was, and, and I think it was the same at full time, but there really wasn't much unity Mm -mm. as they walked off. Like, you know, it it seemed like everyone was straggling getting off the field um, and going back to the sheds. And it it didn't, it didn't feel, it didn't fill a person with confidence for where their minds were at. And 
maybe there will be a resurgence in that with the team that they're able to field this week. Um, as you said, a big test. Like you, you just after you come off those drubbings, the last thing you want to face is the Newtown Jets with their high standard of football with blokes running around that might be at another club pie in first grade, especially their backs. They, well, Stone Street absolutely massacred us last time we played against. He was just, he, anytime the ball got to him, he just seemed to get around his opposite with ease and then no one could get near him. Such was his pace. But, um, yeah, look, I think I don't want to expect too much of Artie at fullback. He's, I mean, this is his first week back. Yeah, he's, he's getting pushed. I mean, we, we spoke about what the plan was with young Ethan Sanders, and I know that uh, Arthur's a little bit older. But, yeah, that, it's a difference there in ex- like the burden of expectation, isn't it, where you get the chance to come back and flag and build yourself up from an injury versus, yeah, you're going straight into the from the frying pan into the fire here. Yeah. So it's like it's it's not ideal. I'm I can't tip a win for the New South Wales Cup this week. No, if you've been anywhere near realistic, uh, if they can keep the score close, they've done a great job. Yeah, I, I what I'm looking for from them this week is simply an improved performance. I want to see that they've got the just the the slightest semblance of of a bit more. Um, positivity in their mindset because it was it evaporated very quickly in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And they scored the first try last week as well. So it wasn't like they had the, a bad start. Uh, but no, but they, as soon as the tide turned, it really turned. Yes. You know, like the heads went down um, and then it was almost a matter of kickoff score, kickoff score. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the tries just came in in rapid fashion in the uh, look because when you think uh, I think it might have taken I can't remember whether the Blacktown's first try was after ten or fifteen minutes last week but they the tries came thick and fast in a, a, a in you know very soon after that so um, yeah when they it tends to be that when this team is down in the dumps like that when they concede tries, they concede them rapidly. Like, and it's it's not back to back; it's back to back to back to back. It seems uh, with the uh, their defence conceding tries. So, yeah, let's look for an improved performance, a bit more positivity mm-hmm. out there. Um, uh, look, I think Jaden Yates would be getting close to returning as well. I spoke to him the other week, and he said he was still another couple of weeks out. Mm-hmm. So, and that was two weeks ago. So he must be close to um, getting back to getting on the field as well. And look, he would have been an option in the halves. Yes. I think it would have been well. less disruptive to the team to have uh, Yates there who has a, a bit more history playing in the halves and can be, you know, the, the sort of the link guy pretty cleanly. So yeah, poor, yeah. poor Dan Keir getting thrust into a very difficult decision or position. Uh, and it's, much less a. It's funny because I know we just roasted Freddie Fitler for doing something similar to Damian Cook, but the Eels are obviously down on resources much more significantly when it comes to the playmaking stocks. Um, and yeah, this is one of those necessary evils right now, as opposed. A to quick Freddie. question for you: Did you notice Jacob Davis get injured last? No, week? I was actually going to mention that 
uh, one absentee from both team lists was Jacob Davis, who I thought played a pretty good game in a well-beaten team. I thought the the young guys actually stood up. Uh, Jonte, Tony, Jacob, Jock. I thought they all played pretty good football. Uh, but yeah, I, I did not see an obvious injury. So I don't know if it was injury or suspension, but by the same token, I don't think he did anything warranting suspension. So Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't recall an injury. I couldn't recall an incident. And that's a real, a real shame because he, he played a good, uh, good brand of football, came in, was up-tempo from dummy half, had some nice runs. Uh, nearly scored a try at one point. Uh, yeah, so real shame that he got, he got nicked up from this one, presumably. Yeah, so, uh, but mate, uh, you're you're the same as me then. At, uh, uh, being realistic, yeah. a bit too tough to predict an eels no, no victory doubt. in this. Yeah, so for me, a a, a good result is one to twelve loss. Yeah, very uh, very much. And so. uh, I I don't want to think outside of that. So, bringing us to the main event as the eels look to make it five in a row in the NRL. Uh, this is the eighth placed Eels taking on the tenth placed Dolphins. Seven wins, sorry, seven wins, seven losses for the Dolphins with two buys. Eels eight wins, seven losses. So I have finally moved that needle into the positive side sixties. They've uh, got it on the right side of the winning percentage there, and the Eels actually not that far off as high as second place on the ladder. Honestly, and um, with boasting the second best points differential in the competition, it has been a very weird year. Like just looking at these numbers here. I know we've talked about it at length about how the Eels have managed their losses in a way that has kept them highly competitive and points differential, but just seeing this ladder is crazy. Uh, but yeah, that's well, taking. I think our, uh, I mean, it goes without saying that at this time of year, the fate of every team is pretty much in their own hands. Yes. But I think what we'd be getting at in saying that with the Eels is a place high up in the top eight is in the Eels' hands. Here they, if they can continue the run, then it it is very likely that they can get themselves into the top four, and as you suggested, maybe even the top two, mm-hmm. which would be the best case scenario and probably one that yeah home field advantage uh, for after the five rounds. Most people would have thought it would have been absurd to suggest that that could happen, but as the way that the competition is this year, it's it is a it is a possibility that um, that it could happen. But of course, they have to keep the roll on. It's um, a critical week playing away from home against the Dolphins. Uh, they've had their own challenges in more recent weeks, but they have a pretty strong looking lineup that you'll run through in just a moment. Uh, if the Eels can get the win, it's one of those four-point wins because they follow on the following week with the bye. So uh, over to you, mate, for the team lists. Yeah, so we'll start with our opposition as we go up to, uh, well, Redcliffe, I suppose, but uh, 3 o'clock p.m. kickoff out at, uh, what's it called there? Sunshine Coast Stadiums. I know fancy sponsoring on this one here. They're taking on probably the uh, the really the pluckiest, most impressive story of the season in the Redcliffe. Well, not, they're not the Redcliffe, but the Dolphins, sorry with Wayne Bennett steering his team to a legitimately competitive spot on the ladder and a push for the finals. And they've got a few origin players backing up here, it looks like, so at least one. Uh, they start with Hamaso Tabai Fado, who will back up from playing centre at origin to play fullback against the Eels. On the wings, they've got Jermaine Asako and rookie Braden McGrady. In the centres, Ewan Aiken and Valence Tafare. Uh, in the halves, Cody Nikarima and young gun Isaiah Katoa partner up. 
And then you go to the forwards where Captain Jesse Bromwich will lead the scrum with Herman S.A.S.A. Jeremy Marshall King has been named 60s. There was a bit of a cloud about his fitness though, so we'll have to monitor that one. In the back row, you've got Felice Gafusi with Kenneth Bromwich on the edges. Former Eel and a beloved former Eel, really, Talis Manic in his efforts for the club. Ray Stone will start at lock forward. With Josh Kerr, the new player at the, the uh, club after getting a release from the Dragons, he's on the interchange with Mark Nichols, Connolly Lamelu, and Max Plaff. Interchange, sorry, the extended interchange or the shadow bench, <clears throat> Harrison Graham, Sean O'Sullivan, Pawasa Farmasuli, Robert Jennings, and Kurt Donago. Don, Don Donaghy? Donago? Donaghy? I, I, I'm sorry, Kurt. Uh, <clears throat> with the Dolphins still missing quite a few players due to injury, but that roster, honestly, I mean, on paper at the start of the season, I would have said it's not that great, but looking at it now, there's guys that are contributing across the 1 to 13 as well as the interchange. Yeah, it's. I mean, where are they at as a team? I, certainly earlier this year, they were playing out of their skins. Like they, they absolutely were. It was they exceeded my expectations early on. I was, I'd predicted them to finish with the spoon or very close to the spoon. Um, their early season form looked like they could push for the top eight. They're still there or thereabouts. But they've hit they they've certainly hit the wall with some recent results. They've they've had some scores put on them. Um, they've had some injuries that have been rather unfortunate for them. But you, I, I guess you look at them and you go, they they're the sort of team that you don't want to give them a sniff of a victory. You don't want them to be in a position where. Um, like a bounce of the ball or a freak play could get them across the line mm-hmm. because they've got one or two players there who could pull something out of the bag. And uh, that's, of course, um, headed by the uh, the likes of the Hammer and Jermaine Asako. So, yeah, Asako sort of rebuilt I'm, his career at the Dolphins, looking like a, yeah. a very good NRL player again. Um, yeah, and I know that a lot of people have, were cheering on Valence Tavare, uh, who had that explosive debut at uh, Magic Ground. So they've got they've got some strike in the back line. They've got some real good workers in the forward pack. James K, if he is healthy, is a bit of a live wire attacking threat at a dummy half. Yeah, he was underrated for so long, Jeremy Marshall King, and I didn't quite understand the low value that the Bulldogs put on him. Because, to me, he was always one of their major attacking threats. And they went for... uh, They opted to go for Reid Marnie, who's, you know, probably more of the, if we can put it this way, the uh, workhorse type of dummy half, um, instead of someone who's got those flashes of creativity like Jeremy Marshall King. So is I guess the expectation around what's going to happen is is maybe not too dissimilar to how we lined up against Manly in that, you know, Manly, even with a couple of their players out, just as we had a couple of our key players out, had those strike players within the team uh, be it on the edges and um, uh, and 
uh, with Hamoli Olakuatu and and also just the sheer pace of Jason Saab. So if you remember last week, I was saying that my main concern was a trick shot or two that might um, get the Eagles into a position of, of winning the game. And, of course, Parramatta strangled them out of it. So I want to see more of the same this week. Mm-hmm. And for the Eels... To- I, 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 yeah, from, from Parramatta. And I'm, I look, I know that the return of Mitch Moses provides that little bit more strike power and direction in the spine. But I liked the focus that our players had last week. Just yeah. that commitment to to um, be relentless, you know, not overplaying their hand. There was, look, there might have been a couple of shifts wide out to um, uh, Micah that happened a little bit too quickly. Um, in terms of the the feed, the feed onto him through Bailey Simonson, there was probably one instance there where I thought Bailey probably should have gone on his own yeah. rather than giving Micah the early pass. ball. Yeah, but he learned quickly from that because he ended up scoring in in a fairly similar scenario soon after it, where he was like, "No, no, I'm putting the foot down myself here and scoring." Um, but if if the Eels approach the game in a fairly similar manner to last week, there's no reason why it can't be a fairly similar result. Is the, is the pack for the Dolphins any better than the Manly pack were on paper last week? No, no. And, and the way the Eels line up this week, and I'll get to that shortly, means that they should be able to carry on the business, uh, like I said, as long as they get in their own way. <clears throat> And for the yep. Eels, they look like this 60s. Uh, not too many changes, just the Origin guys mostly backing up uh, this week. But Quinton Gufferson at fullback, as always. Unchanged backline, Mike Acevo, Sean Russell on the edges. Will Penasini, Bailey Simonson in the centres. Dejan Arcee slots from halfback back to 5'8", with Mitchell Moses coming back into the team, which means Ryan Madison has a different role this week. Big fella did a good job at 5'8", but I'm sure he'll be much happier to get back to his back row sort of preferred position. In the front row, Reagan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Barlow will partner with Brendan Hands, who again will be tasked with playing 80 minutes in the absence of Josh Hodgson. Hodjo obviously just uh, uh, taking up that mutual option with the club as well for next year, uh, but he's still pushing through that neck injury, which we know neck injuries are all bugger. So hopefully he gets healthy sooner rather than later. In the back row, Bryce Cartwright and Andrew Davey will start. So um, Matto goes to the interchange, not to the starting edge position, uh, with Jermaine Hopgood. At lock forward on the interchange, we mentioned it with uh, Quentin that NRL podcast, uh, but it's a big beefy bench. Ogden, Opengahi, Madison, and Makatoa, uh, four big big forwards there <clears throat> with the rotation, and then the extended roster: Hayes Dunster, Matt Dury, Luca Moretti, Wanga Bike, and Sean Lane. Match officials are Peter Goff, Wyatt Raymond is the only touch judge listed, so he's going to have a lot of work to do on the weekend. Um, with Matt Noyan, the senior review official. So it looks like the Eels got the uh, C team on Saturday. Uh, most of those guys aren't anywhere near the top or top build officials. Maybe that's a good thing, 60s, given the, some of the opinions we have on the top officials in the NRL here. Uh, but yeah, Eels looking very, very formidable in this roster. I think we're missing, what, Hodgson, Lane. Um, who else is there right now that comes in and makes a... And bumps Dylan Brown. Out? Dylan Brown, sorry. Uh, you know, congrats to Dejan. He's done such a good job that I'm not even thinking about Dillbags. 
but yeah, so Dylan, obviously, we're going to monitor from that bye week when he has his second court appearance. Uh, but credit to Dejan 60s, he has done a very, very good job working not just in relief of Dylan, but also Mitchell Moses. Yeah, it's when you've seen the the left side play, which he's been mostly responsible for, It's it seems to have functioned like pretty much like clockwork. And the as I said, the only issues that they had was really around shifting to Sivo a little bit too early last week. But apart from that, you saw when, when they went to the left to attack, there was good shape there. And the players knew exactly what was going on. And that's that's going through um, Dejan to Gutho in a lot of those plays. But um, Dejan delivered good ball for Gutho or whoever was outside him. Can't knock him with that. He, he, look, he doesn't have the boot of Mitch Moses, but Moses is back in this week. So he's at least comparable to Dylan Brown's kicking game. Dylan doesn't have a long kicking game. He's more the the shorter mm-hmm. kicking game. Um, and I guess that's where Dejan fits in his 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 longer kicks. He, he really doesn't want to be too much over the his own side of halfway when he's kicking. Um, and that's why I'm saying that I think if the Eels can focus on getting that good field position the way that they did last week and keeping their composure, keeping patience, playing with um, real maturity as they as they did last week, then that's that really sets the platform for a, what should be a victory over the Dolphins. Uh, I, I, again, I, I, I'm just hoping that they play that that Parramatta football. And which, as we know, the BA emphasises all the time: chase a bit of the collision, win the win the uh, the middle of the ruck. He doesn't like the team dipping the toe in the water, as he calls it. And as we've mentioned before, mm-hmm. he he wants them to be, you know, straight into embracing. As as he talked about last week, he 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 talked about how they embrace the defence that they need to do, and. Over the last, I mentioned this in the um, column today, that over the last four weeks, the Eels have only averaged, uh, uh, well, have only conceded on average 12 points per game. And uh, for those who might go, well, you know what? Uh, yeah, that's that's because they've just had four wins. Well, if we extend it to the last 10 games, they're averaging... Uh, well, they're conceding an average of 16 points per game. Now, that's going to get you... The 12 points a game is equivalent to what Penrith uh, are able to produce week in, week out. They only they only concede that amount of points mm-hmm. across the season. The 16 points per game would have you at the second best defence in the competition. And I think... In, in reality, there's uh, even though there's there are more missed tackles than BA would like, the scramble and the systems are working quite well. And while ever the scramble and the systems are working quite well, you have to give acknowledgement to um, the work that they're doing in defence. And that's what we spoke about early in the season, where the systems were working but the players weren't necessarily executing the tackles perfectly. 
And that's yes. where we're, we're having those big, you know, busts and, and sort of tries being leaked. Um, and now they've fine-tuned that, which is what you do in a season, right? You you fine-tune and you constantly tinker and work. Yeah, the systems and the players look really, really good in defense. And what you have to remember as well is there were some newer combinations out there. Jermaine Hopgood, new to the team, and he's one who leads the that line speed. But he he's... He's not familiar with the players around him. He's more familiar now. You also had Josh Hodgson new to the team. Coming the off start. of it, yeah, trying to get back to full fitness too. Yeah, coming back from that. And he 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 did not have the best start to the season. But prior to his recent out now with the neck injury. It was a month of really good football. It was. And where he was um, being credited with five and a half to six missed tackles per game in the the previous weeks he was down to maybe two or three so his average missed tackles across the season had, had reduced to less than five um hopgood himself was sitting at around five missed tackles per game but um and as i said i honestly think it's it's not um it's not it's not something that is unexpected to have players who are new to the team and new to the systems be the ones that take a little bit longer to adjust. Yeah. And, um, you know, they were really the two players that when you looked at the stats, their missed tackle count was way higher than the rest of the team. Whereas now those sorts of numbers have, have, have pulled right back. And um, and like I know that there are people who take that that stance of, look when um, when Hodgson's on the field versus when Brendan Hands is on the field, you know what? Let's just give let's just give Brendan Hands credit for how he's playing, without um, you know pointing a negative at Josh Hodgson there, because they are two very different types of dummy half um, Hodgson's more of the schema um, whereas Brendan Hands is more of the running dummy half if we're talking about what they do in attack apart from that both of them are expected to provide good service for the halves and what can you say about the Eels service to the halves at the moment if you've got the team that's sitting with the second best attack in the competition Yeah, and the other consideration here too 60s is Brendan Hands is doing a tremendous job in his rookie season, but how often do you see a rookie burn out if you have to lean on him for 80 minutes every week, especially to roll as critical as dummy half? So having that battery there at dummy half will be good for the Eels in the long term. And yeah, <clears throat> I expect Brendan to do a great job again this weekend. He's been you know, ultra-reliable and caught him to 80. And he, he, I think he would be for weeks to go, but you know, at four weeks, five weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, like there, there will be a barrier if he has to keep playing 80 minutes. So getting Hodgson back fit, I think, is going to be key for this team. Yeah, what we what we know is that right now, um, Brendan Hands is at the embryonic stage of his career. Yeah, like yeah. literally, his NRL career is just starting. It's however many games he's he's up to now with the Eels is the extent of his NRL career. So he's only going to get better. But as you said, because he's um, at that level of inexperience, 
there's there there will be hurdles that he will have to face because every player faces them in their career. And, and I, as and as you said, having that older head there in the team with him is only going to benefit him. And that's why I'm. Uh, I don't think you need to have an either or scenario with the Eels in this regard. What BA has to look at doing is to get the minutes right. Yes, exactly. And I know earlier in the season, I'm pretty certain I said in the podcast, I don't know if it was Insta Reaction or Live, that um, you know, Brennan Hens probably won't feature in the Dally M race for Rookie of the Year. But I was looking at the field, and he's probably going to be, the fact that he has just continued to play at such a strong level, and like, you know, he's not posting gaudy stats, he hasn't got, you know, eight tries a dummy half or whatever, but he's, he's doing such a fundamentally strong job for the Eels. He's, the, the field probably comes down to Katoa from the Dolphins, who we play this week. Carlo who might get some points as the young gun at the Canterbury Brum team. Jonah Pezzett won't play enough at Melbourne. He, he might actually feature more than I thought. So, you know, there's a, a bit of a silverware on, on the line for him if he keeps playing good football. Mate, I, I see this as either a topic for the podcast or maybe a 4020 special. Yeah, do a bit, bit of a deep, deep dive into the competition. We'll have to wait and see for that one, yeah. But uh, on the Parramatta Real 60s, the team is really strong on paper. The team is really strong on form. They're looking for five in a row heading into a bye. The Dolphins are coming off a bye. The Eels have um, played plenty of teams coming off buys this year. Uh, what what does it mean for the team to get five in a row going into the week off? Like how, how does that position them for that tough run in the back sort of third of the season? Well... Right now, you I mean, you're talking about it's not just a win of of five in a row. It's a run of 14 premiership points when you throw in the two buys that have come in this period. So you've seen this climb up the ladder and it's it's a building of momentum. And with that building of momentum comes a building in confidence. Now, I was at, at training on Tuesday and there was no shortage of uh, positivity around the group. I mean, they were literally jumping out of their skins at train. Now, it's not that there'd been any negativity around the joint prior to that, but, you know, winning winning is far better than the alternative when it comes to the mindset of players. And, you know, when you get that belief that, you're going to win when you step out on the field. And and look, I I think that the Eels have approached this season in pretty much this, that way, that they've had a belief that they were going to win when uh, in every match when they stepped out onto the field. Yep. The fact that it didn't happen didn't seem to jar their resolve too much. And if you remember, we had a conversation with uh, Buckets a number of weeks back, and he was talking about the mindset of the players and that, um, you know, they were pretty confident about where the season was going to take them. And this is when things weren't going entirely well. Um, But the other thing too is, as things stand right now, the Eels have won seven of their last 10. If they win this, of course, that becomes eight of their last 11. Uh, Eight of the last 11 plus two buys. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a good... That's a good run of points in the middle of the season, and where they, where it would be good, and and this might be a change from other seasons where we've seen 
the the Eels fly out of the gates with the premiership table points, but then have a bit of a lull in form. Whereas this year it's been reasonably consistent form where the where it's been slowly building in terms of their capacity to engineer a win. And um you know, I think a, a win here is critical in keeping in keeping that roll on, mm-hmm. and and getting it away from home as well is exactly what I want to have going into that buy, and um, yeah, and and I'm sure that that message is out there about how how important it is for them. So and um, a win on Saturday, I believe, would tie the eels for career best win streaks for Brad Arthur, which we had both in 2020 and 2021, if I'm not mistaken, the start of the uh, 2020 season. And then the uh, way rounds, what, six to 10 in 2021. So chance to equal that and then hopefully better it um, once we come out of the bye. So plenty, I mean, we know that the Dolphins aren't going to make this easy. They've been, uh, you know, being scrappy at times, but highly competitive. And, you know, you always know that a Wayne Bennett coach team is going to give you a real contest. But, yeah, Eels go out there and execute. I think that this is a game they can win and win well. Yeah, I'm just um, I'm just wondering what the um, capacity is at the Sunshine Coast Stadium because this is one of those games where they're taking it. Uh, it's around the 10,000 mark. So this is this is a game that they've that they're taking – away from their home ground um, at Redcliffe. They're taking it to the Sunshine Coast. Um, it's one of those one of those grounds that the um, Queensland government has looked to um, boost and will be boosting further with the uh, Olympic Games mm. uh, in 2032. So yep. um, it, is, it is apparently already sold out for this match. I know we have some uh, TCT followers who will be attending the game. Some of our Queensland followers um, had some messages about that. So any of you that are listening now that are uh, from up in Queensland, uh, thank you for the messages. And um, I'm sure you'll get out there and make plenty of noise for the Eels. We know we've got a great support base for the team up in Queensland. It's, It's one where it hasn't, it's not unusual to hear the parachant. Oh. Uh, breaking news. I'm pretty certain Justin Holbrook's just been sacked. Wow. Des Hasler has been appointed coach of the Titans. Wow. Oh, what? <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll jump into that with Quint in the news podcast. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be a hell of a breaking story to follow. Uh yeah, wow. <laughs> so you're you're hearing our another example of our instant reaction with the, the news coming in. Oh my goodness! As, right as we're I, about to wrap up our preview, I feel like we we are like this incredible catalyst for NRL news. We always record, and then immediately something happens. And in this case, we happened because you had to go out and and do a, an errand mid recording. We had the pause. You actually managed to get us on time for the breaking news this time. Sixties. Yeah. Uh, look, it's. <laughs> In one sense, this is it's it's not a surprise, 
that they've had a change of coach. I thought it might happen at the end of the season. To be fair, yes, with the I, I agree. But there was no. The, I mean, credit to the to the. Oh, sorry, the Titans. Credit sorry. to the Titans. Usually, there's like rumor mongering and rumination and like all these whispers. And like you said, I could see at the end of the season moving on from Holbrook, who just hasn't been able to take them to the next level. But this one was like from the clouds, absolute thunderclap. So they've uh, run it run it tight there, and I suppose Des comes in immediately, and now we might have another suitor for Josh Schuster's services. <laughs> yes, it could be, um, but uh, yeah, it's oh, have we had have we ended up with the two coaches most likely to be moved on this season now moving on. Yeah, I think I think that's, that's probably we had the Dragons obviously parting ways. Now we have the Titans parting ways. Um, the West it's Tigers, just O'Brien, isn't it? At, um, yeah, Newcastle would be the other big one because um, yeah. I, I know that you know the West Tigers aren't going to move on from Sheens because that's literally their plan is to go Sheens to Benji. Um, and yes, Cameron Serrato is under a bit of pressure in his rookie season, but it's his rookie season, they're not moving on from him. Uh, Todd Payton was under a bit of pressure, but the Cowboys are starting to come good. Um, yeah, it, that. They're the obvious coaching replacements, aren't they? So, and I suppose the other one now is Trent Robinson, but there's no way the Roosters move on from him this year. No, no, he's he's got he's got too much of a a track record at the club. He's very respected there, and I I just get the feeling that if if they decided to change paths with uh, Trent Robinson, that it it wouldn't be a mid season. No. Departure. I just, I just wouldn't see that nowadays with the Roosters. So, but there we go. <laughs> Things happen so, with the tip sheet. Let's let's get back to Parramatta. Let's get our predictions on the line here, mate. Uh, we've we've talked a lot for a lot of different things, but Eels v Dolphins. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? Uh, as I said, I think last week was really the the blueprint for attitude and um, sticking to game plan, uh, just a real mature performance. I, I expect to see more of the same with just maybe a little bit more Mitch Moses' influence on the game in, in, in terms of being able to uh, bust the defence open a little bit more. Comfortable. I'm going to tip a comfortable win for the Eels here. Uh, thirty six to fourteen. Yeah, not victory too, to the not too dissimilar to the prediction I made with uh, on, well, I, I didn't even was on the podcast last night, but with uh, the other boys on the Para podcast, I think I said thirty two fourteen for the Eels. So an, another pretty good margin of victory there. We had Andrew Davy for first try scorer in that one. Just feeling maybe the left edge, but not going all the way out to Micah this time. And um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm gonna. I thought it was a, know, last week. I boasted about. Um, tipping um, Jermaine Hopgood to score a try. Anytime try score into the power win, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Odds are $7 there. Uh, But first try score, it's, you know, that's always um, uh, the the difficult punt, isn't it? Like, you know, it's far far easier to go an anytime try scorer. Yes, Um, yeah. but, But first up try scorer with this, Let's go Mitch Moses. I like it. Out of origin. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually keen to see whether they give Mitch the full 80 here or they might do a bit of a minutes restriction if we get ahead and then, you know, slot Maddo back into the halves of Arcee, uh playing halfback <clears throat> in a chance to maybe 
uh, rest him because Mitch, uh, I saw the, the run tracker, he was like top five in that game. And the, after that, I felt like he was doing even more off the ball stuff. So a lot of football to be played for him. Best on field. I mean, I could have definitely see Mitch backing up into a big game here. But again, it always feels like cheating when you pick a player like Guffo or Mitch, even though they're consistently some of our best players. Um, the player, I think they'll have a big game here. Mm-mm-mm. Maybe a big game for Bryce Cartwright. Maybe. I think Davey, FTS, Cardi of the big game. Um, but then again... Cardi, You're liking the edges. You're I'm, just I, I, am liking, I am liking the edges. I'm feeling, I'm feeling something for the back rowers this week, boys. Well... I'm going to, when you're on a good thing, stick to it. So I'm going to predict Jermaine Hopgood to have a cracking game in this one. He got my three points last week. He was outstanding. In a match where I, for some reason, I couldn't find points for Clint Gutherson, my mate Clint. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it felt wrong that, and we talked about it in the news podcast that he, he, it wasn't so much that he slipped through because we we I even put the vote out there to the uh, the uh, punters in the club. Uh, they got to vote with uh, their cheers for who they'd give the uh, player of the match to, and I think by popular opinion as well, it was Jermaine Hopgood and um, and a couple of other players rather than uh, the King. So, uh, but there's no doubting that he keeps those standards very very high. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with uh, Jermaine Hopgood, future captain of the Eels, and future premiership winner with the Eels. There you go, there you go. He has had an outstanding start to his career as a Parramatta Eel, and and you know credit to the club and him for coming together for an agreement to you know, help extend his uh, like first stay with the club because he's going to be a huge building block for the Eels. Very very good player. Well, mate, I think we've uh, just about wrapped up. What has been a we had a, a preview podcast. a bonza a bonza origin two review breaking news of the Gold Coast Titans uh, we've had a bit of everything on a Parramatta preview podcast but that's how it goes with the NRL um, but yeah fun times as always hope you guys enjoyed the listen sixties uh, I'll let you sign off big fella go you wheels. <laughs>